Welcome to the Axial Spondylarthritis Podcast, hosted by me, Jason Sacco. I'm a longtime spondy looking to bring the community closer to give the community a voice. I'll be reaching out to organizations, doctors, nutritionists, and anyone that I think can help increase our spondy quality of life. Enjoy and learn what is available to make your life better. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Axial Spondarthritis Podcast. This is going to be an episode about getting you to rethink everything you might consider that you know about axial spondarthritis. Does it mean that it's going to change everything? No. I just want you to rethink about all the pieces that go together, especially if you're trying to get a diagnosis. There are some things that I want you to consider, and this is in no real order. Well, I guess the first one's important, but they kind of go on, and you'll see how it carries into this article that I'm going to review. First and foremost, this year is the year to stop using the terms non-radiographic spondylarthritis or ankylosing spondylitis. You are not trying to get a diagnosis with each or either one of those. If you are trying to get a diagnosis, it is for axial spondyloarthritis. Then it's determined the severity level that you have. Throw out any of those other terms. They're outdated. They are clinical terms that a doctor may use when they're writing up notes in relation to your disease progression, but they are terms that you, as either a person seeking a diagnosis or one with a diagnosis, you need to throw them out. You don't have ankylosing spondylitis. You don't have non-radiographic. You have axial spondyloarthritis. Did an interview a few years ago with Michael Mallinson. He posted an article on the website, Living with Ankylosing Spondylitis, which is, again, as I say all this, it's a name I'm hoping to push to change. But anyway, it was how the term axial spondyloarthritis is the proper term that everyone should be using now. It's just very, very important because as this thought process or this idea of, of this disease is developed and researched by doctors and looked at by clinicians and as we, the patients, are dealt with, it needs to be put under one heading. You have axial spondyloarthritis, and then it's determined what severity level do you have. So what we look at today is... Some basics of, again, as you build up your knowledge base of this, be open to challenging your beliefs. That's one of the things that I see is that people funnel and focus themselves and say, this is what it is and this can never change. No, you should know if you have axial spondyloarthritis that everything, absolutely everything with this disease is subject to change. New ideas come out, new theories are proven. So there is no static, this is what it is, this is what it will always be. This is the whole developing just thought process, treatment process, everything for axial spondyloarthritis. So as we look at this article, again, it is from myspondylitisteam.com, and I'll have a link in the show notes. I also have a link to Michael Melton's old interview and a link to an interview I did just a little bit ago with a research doctor who talks about the different genetics that are potentially involved with axial spondyloarthritis and how the HLA-B27, which everybody says, oh, I don't have it, I'm depressed. No, don't even worry about that. Worry about that's just a piece of the puzzle. You need to look at everything as a whole and your genetics, your lineage can also play a huge part in what shows up in the testing to help with a diagnosis for axial spondyloarthritis. So let's look at this article from myspondylitisteam.com. What causes spondylitis? Well, spondylitis, also called axial spondyloarthritis or AXPA, is an autoimmune disease in which the immune system, you know, mistakenly attacks joints, other tissues, the cartilage, pretty much anywhere in the body that it feels like. And that's one of the hard parts is what affects me might not 
not affect you, even though we have the same condition. So that can really create a real challenge for people to wrap their heads around when they want concrete. It does this, this, and this, so it must be this. No, you kind of have to throw all of that out the window. There is no concrete. It is a concept for diagnosis of all these pieces put together to lead towards a diagnosis. So when they look at this, the specific causes of spondylitis, they're unknown at this point. There are some, though, that think it could uh, be both hereditary or environmental factors or both that lead to this, you know, turning on in some people and not turning on in others. Generally, people under the age of 45 are more likely to develop spondylitis than older folks, but that's not unusual to have onset or actually, it's probably not really even that true. Your disease generally doesn't start when you're older. You're properly diagnosed when you're older. That can happen for many. They'll, for years, they might have a low case of axial spondyloarthritis. It was never very active. It was put off as old age, getting older, growing pains that you hurt as a kid, a sore back, a bad back, you know, all these different things it was put off at until for whatever reason, at some particular age, it kicks in and starts going. And then you get a proper diagnosis. Well, that doesn't mean that it started when you were 50, 60, 70 years old. That just means that it was never diagnosed and you've probably been dealing with it if you thought about it for decades. Generally, people under 45, again, not always, but generally people under 45 are likely to develop spondylitis. So what are some of the risk factors? Well, article goes on to say it's important to note that while science is good at finding correlations or apparent relationships between factors in disease, correlation does not prove that the risk factor causes the disease. Many risk factors for spondylitis have been identified and are being studied, but none have been pinpointed as the exact cause. So there's also some hereditary risk factors. If you have a parent or sibling with spondylitis, your risk for developing spondylitis is three times higher than for someone with no relatives who have spondylitis. The risk for the general population to develop spondylitis is only 1%. So the risk of someone with a close family member with spondylitis is still only 3%. Amongst identical twins, if one twin has spondylitis, the other twin has approximately a 50% chance of developing the disease. For this reason, most researchers agree that genetic and environmental factors both contribute to the cause of spondylitis. They also go on in this to talk about more than 60 genes have been identified as playing a role in the spondylitis risk. One gene, HLA-B27, is present in many people, not all, but many people who are diagnosed with spondylitis. HLA-B27 is a more influential risk factor for spondylitis in people of some ethnicities. HLA-B27 is found in 95% of those of European descent who are diagnosed with spondylitis, 80% of those of Mediterranean descent with the disease, and 50% of those of African descent who have spondylitis. So you can see different areas have different risk factors for that gene, but not having that gene does not mean that you do not have AS. So that's where you really have to be very open and challenge everything. Don't worry if you have all these other symptoms, but you don't have that gene. That's not the end of the world. You're not starting over again. It's just a piece that may or may not be present for you. So testing positive for the HLA-B27 also does not mean that you will definitively develop spondylitis. That's why I always talk about, you'll see people come online to say, I need to have my kids tested. I need to have my kids tested. You can, but it's not going to tell you anything. If they have the gene, that doesn't mean they're going to develop. They just might have a higher risk factor. And as you'll see, testing positive, only about 2% of those with that gene are diagnosed with axial spondyloarthritis. So again, it's all the pieces. Sibling has it. They have a higher risk. Family member has it. Higher risk. The gene, maybe a little bit higher risk. But if they have all that, but never develop any pain, never develop any symptoms, 
Okay, great. They have those pieces, but they don't have AS. So fantastic for them. So that's why it's very important. Don't overthink everything. If you have children, watch them. It's very important to understand what they may be going through. And what we know now is so much better than what we did know. You know, again, when I was diagnosed, 1984, the years prior to that, it was just growing pains. You're going to grow out of them. Don't worry. Well, no, I didn't grow out of them, but we didn't know any of this. So as a parent, you're much better equipped to help watch what's going on with your children. But at the same time, don't overthink what's going on with your children. Are there some environmental risk factors? Uh, Possibly. Most researchers do not believe that genetics alone determine who gets spondylitis. However, some research has not yet identified which environmental factors play a role in causing the disease. Some evidence indicates that bacterial infections, especially those affecting the gastrointestinal system, may trigger an inflammatory reaction that develops into spondylitis. A similar theory suggests that spondylitis develops when there is an imbalance in the bacteria colonizing the intestines. Smoking is also theorized to increase the risk for developing spondylitis. So if you smoke, stop. Not only is it bad for your health, but anybody in the cars or around you could be potentially bad for their health as well. So there's going to be in this article that I post at the bottom a link to what they call a conditions guide. And this is talking about spondylitis types, the path to diagnosis, symptoms, treatments, and other conditions related to spondylitis. Feel free to go in, join myspondylitisteam.com, look through these articles. All of this is information, especially if you're trying to get a diagnosis, that can be very helpful for you. So with that, I hope everybody has a wonderful year. Thank you. This is going to be the final episode of 2023. We're going to roll into 2024, and I just can't thank everybody enough for making 2023 just a phenomenal year. Take care and have a wonderful time. We'll see you next week.